too many different ideal customers and too many services in your offering complicates the heck out of everything because they get multiplied, which means if you have to work on anything, you don't get deep enough into any of them to actually understand if this is, you're getting any traction, if you're getting better, you're just spreading yourself to self to thin. Welcome to the Messy Growth Show, a podcast that dives deeply into the heart of B2B growth stories. We're here to unmask the raw, the real, and the often messy road to success. Because let's face it, growth isn't always neat and tidy. Join your hosts, Soren and myself, Christian, as we sit down with top leaders mining for proven strategies to accelerate your business. Welcome to the Messy Growth Show. Your roadmap to success starts here. All right. Mia, welcome to the Messy Growth Show. This is uh, one of our uh, bit outlier episodes because we're going to do a live kind of guidance of you uh, to help you scale your company. So this is not something we've done before, but uh, we thought you had a quite interesting case. So we were like super excited to get you on this call. Um, Thank you, Christian. Yeah. Thank you, Soren, for having me. Uh, there's no problem, you know, to, because we are just improvising <laughs> business development uh, on some cases that we know. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to this. I'm uh, Mia Negra and I'm co-founder in 2030 Builders, which is a platform that helps uh, accelerate um, the green transformation in companies by activating the human capital. Short in short, really uh, engaging employees inside organizations to deliver to the sustainability strategy of the company by providing them with the right tools and infrastructure to it. I am um, also, as a co-founder, leading the sales and marketing. I have this uh, weird name of CRO, which sometimes even reflecting it as I'm telling people it's a relationship. It's not so much about revenue because revenue was quite hard to achieve uh, in the, in the past uh, years. Also due to the fact that I think we we all gone through some some really uh, un, unmet, you know, uh, economical conditions with the pandemic and as well with the energy crisis. Uh, and as well, when you are just a startup on a go-to-market phase uh, where you're trying to penetrate some companies or some personas that have a frozen budget. Sounds like some real okay, challenges. So I'm happy you clarified the cro thing because in marketing we also call it conversion rate optimization or chief revenue the confusion is complete (laughs) yes exactly chief relationship officer exactly so we were thinking to go through your definition of who your dream customer is or the ideal customer profile we'll get back to that and talk about within those organizations your ideal customer profiles who are then the decision makers that you ought to focus on. We're going to talk about there's some details on that because the next thing we're going to be talking about is when someone has to buy your product, they have to have a pain, problem, a challenge, but it's great they have a pain, but if it's not big enough, then there's no reason to act. And so we call that impact. So what's the pain? What's the impact, the size of the pain, if it doesn't get solved? And what is the desired outcome that they are really looking for? What situation is it that they want to achieve? Because if they understand that this is the desired outcome, they can relate it to the service and the solution that you are offering. 
which is the fourth. Yeah. So pain, impact of pain, desired outcome, and then your solution. Yeah. That's what we need to understand because if the client starts to understand that they're better able to buy, if they don't understand that they're really having great difficulties in, in buying and arguing within their organization with their stakeholders and colleagues of why they should invest money here. And most of them are not very clear about it. That's also your job is to explain what are the pains and what does it mean for your organization if you don't solve it. Yeah. And then uh, in the end, we will discuss your solution because that relates to the final part, which is the value. What value does you, do you provide? Because the impact of the pain is so big and the costs, including the internal costs and your, the cost of your solution is less than that. Or there is a very short payback on that then people are going to be less flabbergasted on the investment they need to do to hire you or use your platform. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a justification. It makes sense why we should pay this. It's um. So that's what we're going to go through today. I think it's a very nice exercise. I definitely think that it's quite challenging. Um, I think that uh, sitting as a startup founder, you know, to figure out all this, if you actually don't have some kind of coaching into understanding what are the questions and how to formulate the questions. So I have had a lot of demos during the pandemic, which I got to conclude at the end, you know, that not many of them have, have been converting, that it was mainly uh, some kind of interest in understanding what's out there, getting some kind of inspiration. And I did exactly what I was not supposed to do. I was just pitching, you know, how I thought that is so great what we are doing. And of course, you probably agree with me that uh, all your employees <laughs> need to be right engaged in this. Uh, we, we tried this exercise a little bit in the house, but we don't have the answers because this kind of questions, you know, you need to ask the customers. And that is, I think, yeah. very, very important to really have this kind of coaching to understand how to formulate the question, right? What is the sequences of actually formulating the question and actually being able to stay on the point, you know, and come back and, and really, you know, get back to there so, so that you give this reflection time, you know, to the, um, uh, to the customers. Yeah, asking the right and people the right questions. Yeah. So yeah. because sometimes we also miss out, we ignore or forget maybe half of the people that are involved in the buying process. And then you end up in a situation where the deal may cannot move forward because you forgot to involve the legal team or the, the CFO. Yes, exactly. Or something and like we, that, right? we got to that roadblock as well because the idea was that initially we kind of did a, um, a testing on, okay, who's the persona, right? Who's going to buy what we want to sell? Who's going to buy employee engagement and sustainability? So then we tried to reach out to sustainability manager. It was mainly the manager level, not so much. We, I got some conversations with VPs, but not as many. They, they're too busy. I think there was also not as many positions as VP at that level. You know, right now it's, it's gaining more and more. We reached out to HR, to human resources. There was not a lot of involvement. We reached out to communication because we felt that maybe we understood in big corporates is their responsibility to communication and engagement on that. There was not a lot of response on that either. We figured out that maybe for them, we're even kind of competing, right, to what they need to do internally. And they wouldn't want to get an extra tool, you know, for just putting out there and communication about what they want to do in sustainability, you know, and what people want to do. 
So we did these tests and we definitely got the biggest engagement from the sustainability positions. So then we said, okay, this is who we need to go to. But then after many demos where there's nothing happening, no buying, no going next to the, to the next um, level, then we got to understand that they actually didn't have budget. They didn't have a budget to spend. The budget was sitting somewhere else. And I think where the budget sits mm -hmm. is still kind of a mystery. And I think it's also shifting a little bit in 2023 with new regulations coming from the European Union where the sustainability reporting will be incorporated in the financial reporting. So in this case, I think a lot of it will kind of go with synergy in between or collaboration in between the sustainability position with the CFO, which... Just to make it clear, like your platform helps the, the companies, you know, get their teams together, employees help the reduce the emissions in general. So the company is actually getting more green, right? Whereas these reporting requirements, that's, um, that's not something you do, but it's, but it's like the punishment or the public like uh, thing that you need to comply with, right? Yeah. So we're actually active on all sustainability levels, right? Because sustainability has three pillars, the social one, economical one, and environmental, which is the most pressing because uh, this is the one we're talking the most about. So what we do is that we are actually... Uh, let's say bringing a medicine solution for where the company can see they have problems. So we're not doing good in the emission, then we can actually engage our employees. So everything is actually about making the inside organization, right? Shifting the culture from people knowing about sustainability to doing it. Because everybody has some kind of contribution to what the company wants to do in regards to sustainability. But some teams, like, for example, human resources, would maybe look more into diversity and inclusion, while, for example, procurement would look more into how green our suppliers, what is their missions, you know, how do we get our own materials, and so on and so forth. So then through our solution, the company can cascade the strategy, you know, the goals that they have in sustainability to every department, connect what they want to do, you know, with uh, education. And we have individual learning like e-learning and we also have collaborative trainings, you know, that we deploy so that we get people to really understand how that sustainability topic, we're talking CO2 or we're talking uh, waste reduction or water consumption reduction or recycling or whatever, how that concept is connected to their specific job role. So we don't give one size fits all, but it's customized content and it's content that make every employee reflect and then act, right? Understand, hey, how has this to do with me, right? I work in sales, I, like I'm not, you know, doing any of this. But then you get to understand how your job and what you do in your job, you know, what activities are actually uh, impacting, you know, negatively, uh, yeah, the numbers that the company needs to report on. So okay. through the platform, you get to export these actions that people take and measure them and be like, okay, so this year we, we reduced this much, we did this much with our employees, we did this social activities, we did this, uh, you know, trainings, uh, this human rights, you know, activities, and uh, we reduced this much CO2, to give it as an example. So it's like an activation so and mobilization, yeah. Okay. So you help them clarify their goals faster and mobilize people faster by because you provide the education and the understanding of what the, the goals they have decided are, me as a person, 
I get up to speed faster because I can access training and understanding and understand how I can invest. Exactly. So it becomes a little more fun because now when measuring progress, we're not quite as frustrated of not really knowing what to do and what's most important because your platform helped me understand that. Exactly. And we also measure, so we give an opportunity to the employees to take action. At the same time, when CERN goes through a training, right, and he says, oh, I can, I'm going to give this example, which is very valid in Denmark. Oh, let's bike to work. You know, I can bike to work instead of taking the car. And then you put that action out there and that becomes an inspiration, you know, for your colleagues and be like, oh, I can do this as well. So people commit, you know, and they complete the action. So it also becomes a, a place where we, we get to peer support, to peer pressure each other to, to actually deliver more on this, you know, and, and start doing more and more every day. Positive, right. positive peer so, pressure. Like <laughs> <it>. <laughs> so one of, as we go through this today, you will, just an early warning, you will feel a sting of, of FOMO, fear of missing out as we go through here, because Christian and I are big believers in the one thing. One metric. Yeah. So it's, it's to make things more simple when you start a business, because too many different ideal customers and too many services in your offering complicates the heck out of everything because they get multiplied. Yeah. Which means if you have to work on anything, you don't get deep enough into any of them to actually understand if this is, you're getting any traction, if you're getting better, you're just spreading yourself to self to thin. So we're going to be talking about a lot about one. So let's start with your ideal customer profile. What are some considerations you have there? And when we say ideal customer profile, it can be type of industry, it can be size of business, it can be uh, attitude or proximity to the CO2 reduction or any kind of sustainability. It can be ge geographic, it can be anything. Yeah, so yeah. take us through what considerations you So need. we've been testing that as well. Uh, through cold outreach tools. We've been testing out both the personas, but as well, what size of the company it's actually, yeah, more receptive to what we do. The solution with that is that uh, we got more positive responses from companies in between 5,000 and 35,000 employees. I mean, that's the narrowing. We could go a little bit broader. We've been testing out okay. just above a thousand, right? So above a thousand, it's those that would actually not be able to easily do it inside the house, right? And be like, okay, we can just have a workshop facilitator and we'll click some post-its and then we know what we have to do, right? Uh, so a thousand to 50,000 or 5,000 to 35,000, the, the best reply. In companies in manufacturing or i would say as well b2b solutions right so people like companies that are kind of pressured by their customers to be compliant reduce their emissions because uh, their emissions are affecting the footprint of their bigger customers right um so i think this is actually a sweet spot for us it can be manufacturing uh but the challenge with manufacturing it is that they have a lot of blue collars and our product is delivered through two devices interaction. So you need to have a smartphone, you need to have access to a screen. Uh, so then um, 
you know, yeah, the white colors would actually be the best people to really access the platform, you know, and, and get the benefits of it. Hmm. That's an interesting uh, little challenge there. So with you, the men you mentioned, you mentioned the compliance. So are there any, what, what are the reply compliance, the legislative uh, requirements right now and, and what industries are impacted by them? Who needs to comply today? Starting 2023, all the companies that are on the stock exchange and that have above 500 employees, they will need to report on this uh, corporate sustainability reporting due diligence directive. So it's new standards from the European Union, and uh, this is affecting, let's say, at the, at the European level, around 50,000 companies, European Union level. Okay. What is it that they need to report on? They need to report on, um, so in their financial statement, they need to report on what is their uh, negative impact on the environment, what are the actions that they take uh, to to address this negative impact, uh, what is the negative impact they have on societal problems, uh, how are they putting in place governance um uh, mechanisms like uh, reporting and does leadership, you know, this, do they have uh, not necessarily whistleblowing mechanism, but, you know, a reporting mechanism from employees to, to if there's anything, you know, wrong with, for example, connected to human rights or so it's, they think they need to report in around 1,100 uh, data points and around 87 yeah, bullet points, you know, 87 um, uh, directions, if I can say it so. So what do they do about water? What do they do about pollution? What do they do about what biodiversity? What do they do about this, right? So if they do or if they don't do, they need to report on this. And then as well, there's a big part where they need to look into the um, uh, impact risks and opportunities, right? So where is it that there's a risk, especially now as well, financial, right? So they can say, oh, if we're, for example, sourcing from a different continent, there might have some issues, or if we're sourcing our palm oil, Amazonian, ah, and there's some unrest, or we're, you know, impacting negatively the environment there, and there we're impacting the society, like the, the local okay. communities, you know, negatively or positively because we give them jobs. So everything across their value chain, so across their value chain, how they produce their, their goods and their services, they, they would have to analyze that and do an impact assessment and be like, okay, totally transparent about yeah, what are they doing in connection to that? I think this is part of this is called the Transparency Act, right? It's, yeah, I mean, it's definitely transparency. We, we are requiring transparency. Uh, let's see how much of that is going to is gonna come. If you look at these uh, compliance requirements across social, I mean, are you buying products that include child labor? Exactly. Or Social part, the water consumption, pollution. Those are environmental. And various yeah. other parts. This impacts manufacturing as you identified as your ideal customer. Impacts everybody because actually the companies need to show how they're spending their I money. Understand, yeah. But but if you look at what industry is impacted by all of them mm. or most of them, 
then manufacturing is yes. impacted by quite a lot. Yes, right? exactly. Which makes it a little more complex. Yes. And perhaps a segment that would really need your help on getting traction and clarity. Exactly. Levels, right? Yes. So that's a good point. So manufacturing makes sense. Why that would be a ideal customer profile because of all the compliance requirements that applies to them. But just to be clear, like those, like you don't solve that with your current solution, right? The compliance? Like you don't solve the, re the reporting compliance part. You, I get, you're like, like you said, you're the medicine to help them be better, right? And like, you know, lower their emissions and don't I, Our like platform gives stuff. them what to report. Right. The thing is that once you, you do an assessment and you figure out, oh, we have problems with our, <laughs> I don't know, you know, the way we produce you know, our chairs, for example, right? We produce furniture. Then there's a couple of people that they need to think, how can we solve this? How can we improve this so that we are compliant? What happens okay. in the majority of the companies is that there's two or three people sitting there and deciding what needs to be done. And then it's communicating to the lower people being like, okay, from today, you're going to use this product instead of this one, right? The thing is that with our product, you give an opportunity to people to understand why do we even need to think about this, right? Oh, so what do we need to think when we produce chairs? So we need to think about what materials we use, how do we source the materials, how do we transport those, how okay. do we recycle, blah, blah. So making everybody participate in understanding why is it that we need to look into this and why sustainability is important, you will actually get solutions. So from a team of, I don't know, 10, 12 people, you will get solutions connected on the entire, for example, value chain. So then what the platform does is gives to the compliance responsible, sustainability manager, whatever managers that need to, to report on this, here we have some actions, right? Here we had some ideas at the okay. beginning of the year that our employees brought in. We start acting on the most impactful ones, you know, that we understood that it will give us the most return on investment. And now we have something to report, right? During this year, we've done so much connected to our CO2, okay. connected to all that. So the platform is the one facilitating, giving them the opportunity to have something to report on. Got it. Makes sense. Thanks for clarifying. So looking at that, we could have a discussion on who the persona or the decision maker should be. Yeah. But maybe we should actually start talking about the pains the organization is experiencing before we decide on who the decision makers is that we need to reach out to. Because I think you alluded to us early on that initially you wanted to have conversations with the ones that wanted to talk to you. Yeah. And that was somebody that you had the common interest with in sustainability. Yes. But they do not necessarily have the budget. So let's step back now mm. and look at the pains that uh, these compliance requirements provide. What, what kind of pains does that bring up in a manufacturing world? What I can identify, it's in general, like if actually sustainability is not understood or not act on, like what are the pains that that can bring? Uh, and uh, one of the most obvious ones right now, I think it is connected to branding. So still sustainability sits in a kind of like in a branding area inside organizations where they need to do something or brag with something so that it looks good for shareholders and it looks good for, you know, social media, for customers and so on and so forth. 
but not doing things right, right now becomes very risky because we hear a lot about the greenwashing, you know, and all these scandals. And now we have legislations in some countries, proposals for legislations of actually for companies taking to court, like I think, yeah, I'm not going to say a name now, but a fashion company, you know, from the Lord is taking to court because they are making claims that are not real, are not true, are not based into actual facts, right? So the branding risk, it's quite high. And, and the branding risk, it's also brought in by, for example, having uh, sales and marketing or commercial teams that go in and they don't, actually don't really understand what the company is doing connected to sustainability. So then you have a salesperson going and trying to sell, I don't know, let's say machinery, right? For, 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 for another company and being like, so now we become more sustainable. You know, we are cutting down our CO2. And then we reduced 20% our CO2. So then the customer is asking, okay, so how did you do this? Did you use offsets? And then the person is blocked because they don't understand what does that mean. And then they will be like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Our sustainability team, you know, is handling that. And then the customer on the other side says, this is probably greenwashing. I mean, if you're doing that, I don't agree with it. It's not helping us. If you're not doing that, I need to know what you're doing because, you know, we need, you, we need transparency, you know, from your side. So commercial teams are losing an opportunity of, you know, creating, generating more revenue because they actually don't understand how to talk about sustainability and the sustainability actions the company is taking. And they're not able to defend it, you know, in front of their customers. And that takes us back one step lower to from the branding risk to, well, when these people don't understand what's happening, right? Managers that they need to manage teams. And right now there's, there are companies that actually have financial rewards connected to the CO2 emissions, you know, of the managers or of teams. So these managers, middle-level managers are actually the one that hold the most pressure because they are the ones that need to go back to their team and be like, guys, sustainability is important. And then they're like, what is sustainability? Well, many things, <laughs> super complicated. I don't know. I have to explain to you, but just don't drive to work, you know, just do this for me this year. <laughs> so, so, so the idea is that when you don't have, you're not taking care of your employees to be upskilled, right? To understand these are new skills that are connected to whatever job you have. You can be marketer, you can be HR, you can be project manager, you can be procurement officer, whatever. You need to understand sustainability and why that is important for your company. So when these people are left in a the blank, they get demotivated. Some of them, they get the pressure if, you know, they are like you, sir, and or like a Christian, you know, have kids. I mean, maybe Christians is not, the, is not putting that much pressure on the climate anxiety. But if you would have, for example, children of the Greta generation, lower or upper, you will get pressure, you know, from family saying, what is, what are you doing? What are you doing in your job? Are you responsible for this mom, dad? Well, how are you making uh, sure that we are going to live in a, in a nice world? So you feel the pressure from home. You come back to work and you're like, I think my company is doing something. I can see we have a sustainability report. I can read some things here. I don't understand exactly what it is, right? I don't understand what we're doing, but I think we're doing because I heard something. There was a newsletter that we will, we will change our fleet with the electric cars. So I think we're doing good, I think. I'm not sure if enough, right? So these people, you're, you're losing talent. And we saw a big shift, you know, of talent. And also the talent attraction, not only uh, retention, but also attraction when it comes to, is this company doing 
the right thing in sustainability, yes or not. So this would be, I would say, the three things, not to mention others. Like now I think we need to shift the discourse because we will probably have to be approved by CFOs. So they need to understand how do you save money and how do you make money with sustainability. Uh, and I know that some of the transition costs will be high. Will be high to change the fleets, will be high to change towards uh, green electricity, will be high to change machinery and also that your operation becomes better. Higher acquisition cost you know, of materials if you want to change your suppliers to ones that are compliant, right? Um, but, but it will pay off because uh, when you have this understanding of sustainability, then also people understand how they can apply it in order to reduce cost. And here we have, I have an example, and I'll stop after this because I know I'm going too far away. But employees in uh, airplane manufacturing uh, discovered that if they run five minutes the engines before running the, the tests, instead of 30 minutes, they can reduce 25 minutes of emissions, of CO2 emissions, pollution, and electricity uh, expenditure. So just 25 minutes of a process that is an employee that thinks about it because a sustainability manager doesn't understand, you know, all the things that a company could improve, you know, in the processes, makes a big difference on the long run. So if you start calculating that with five times a day, let's say five week, five days a week, you know, mm. this many, then, then, then you get a multiplied impact and that makes sense financially as well for, for the company. Okay. So can I so. just repeat what you said here? Because branding, maybe not, uh, maybe it's me, but branding doesn't hurt. You mean like it's no bad publicity, it's just publicity. It's a funny pain because it's really undefined by just saying branding. So I like the suggestions you came up with that, of course, there's going to be legal implications and legal costs and proceedings that you haven't budgeted for just yet. And it'll cost you on your bottom line, your profitability. Exactly. There's going to be lost sales as in customers to whom it's important that you are compliant with this and you can show compliance. And that'll be lost revenue because of that. So it might be a good idea to find out how much that is. It's easier to gauge what legal, legal cost and implications are, but it's more complex to figure out what is actually the impact of lost sales if, this, if, we, if we don't mm. manage to get up to speed with our compliance. And that obviously will depend on the pricing of the equipment or products that the manufacturer sells. Yeah. Because a sale for a manufacturer that sells $2 million machinery well, if they said a thousand a year, okay, but it's a yeah, it it's a big sale, yes. Then, so there's the loss of sales and profitability. But what happens now, as companies and manufacturers they develop, they constantly invest in new machinery, new processes, new technology. What if they accidentally, unaware, invest in machinery? or others that are not compliant either. 
So it comes back now to the procurement and the investment of that particular company that you are talking to, that large investments could be misplaced and have to be redone. Yeah. And then you have the um, missed opportunities because you, you said you actually by going into this and engaging, committing to the process, you realize that you could actually save time. Yes. Process utilization. So a cost would also be missed opportunity for increased efficiency, mm. missed opportunity mm. for cost reduction. And by actually, you don't, you don't have to be empirically correct when you calculate these. You can take examples from one and make it general without showing a logo on it, on who mm -hmm. this happened for. Like when Deloitte does this, they take an industry or something and then they accumulate what they know from various customers in this industry. Uh, so you could do that. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be client-specific. I would actually advise against doing mm. that. But you could look from a, your ideal customer profile perspective and say, we have seen examples of costs or lost opportunities like this. Yeah. Because now we can not only define the pains, we can define the impact. And that's why I said branding is a bit funny because you can't, what is the impact on branding? Well, you would need to have to look at all the things we just discussed. Plus, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You also had the employee churn, like uh, the demotivated stuff. Yeah. That's also a huge yeah. cost right there. Mm. So that's another one to add to the pool of, of impact. Um, yeah. So what, what we normally do is that we take each of these and then we try to size up the impact cost-wise and explain how the impact occurs. That's a great exercise. Because the people that are looking for solutions may, in most cases, not be aware of this. Probably. They've heard some of them, but not all mm -hmm. of them. And they've heard of the pain, but they haven't heard about the size of the impact. Exactly. And the next thing is in a, in a dialogue with a prospect, talking about this, whoever you're talking about, if you're talking to a sustainability manager, they will not be answered to, able to answer the impact of these pains. Probably not. And that's one of the reasons why you will ask these questions because if the sustainability manager says, I don't know, your next response will be, well, who among your colleagues is it that we need to talk to to find out? And now you're in the process of finding the budget. Mm -hmm. Because whoever's got the biggest pain will have to flip up the wallet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. And it's also a good idea because Maybe one in, in the, the plant manager has a big pain here. But what about the sales department? Or what about the, the CEO mm. and the CFO? Yeah, also. So now you actually can pool budgets together. That's one thing. You can pool budgets together around a common course. 
and that's important. But instead of each department trying to figure out their own solution and take a more corporate approach to finding a common solution. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Right? Instead of doing things piecemeal in separate departments, we are here to solve company X is your company's problem. By doing that, you also... Who do we need to involve? You also avoid the risk of, you know, getting pretty far in the sales process and then suddenly a person that uh, had an opinion about this area, had some part of the pain, gets involved and he's like, no, no, I, I already talked with this other provider and then... Yeah, exactly. It's a wasted time. Yeah, a huge risk in in sales. But the pains are good to be able to explain on your website. And the the impact of the pains. Because that's part of the realization when people are researching solutions and possible solutions and finding out what the problem is. Uh, and getting educated about what you are going to be talking about when they reach Yeah. So if this costs a certain amount of legal, and if this requires that loss of sales, and if this means loss of uh, potential investments that have gone wrong in new technology, equipment, suppliers, what have you, or if we have missed opportunities for optimization and efficiency, then what is what does the desired outcome look like? Where is it that we want to be? What does that world look like for us? So what are they what what is it that they want in the end? They want to make sure that this doesn't happen. They want to make sure that they take the right decisions. Well, ideally, in the end, they want everything to be fixed. Right? Yeah. They want to be compliant. Yeah. With pollution. Yes, everything. Water consumption, child labor, and the whole shebang, yeah. right? They want to be compliant. But what, what kind of situation is that? Is that they, as a customer? Well, that means that maybe they are seen as an advocate for all of this. Maybe this becomes... Uh, part of who they their supplier network looks like. We would love to have suppliers that looks like this. Maybe that's the, how they envisage the company. Maybe they envisage the kind of manufacturing uh, technology process that has minimal water consumption and almost no pollution or they see themselves of how they manage pollution and how they fix yeah. Pollution. What does that desired outcome look like? It will because compliance-wise, I think starting next year or two years, the big companies will also be responsible for their suppliers, you know, to, to comply to this. Um, so again, I think, I mean, the idea of providing enough awareness or enough education, right, to, to the employees to be able to take the right decisions um, it's kind of the first step, but I think if the process is not continued, and here you know we might we might have an objection as well. We do learning with our learning management system in the house, right? Mm-hmm. So we yeah. send this to people and we say we want this, this, this. But are you actually hearing? You know what they think, what they say, what are the barriers? You know for them for doing more, and 
Can you also follow up on the next steps? Can you actually see that something had happened, you know, from what, what needs to happen to, to deliver right on, on the, on the goals? So that's a, that's a good point there. You have with desired outcome because it's stepwise. Mm. First, we want to fix this. Yeah. Then we want to fix that. And so eventually we will achieve this. Exactly. So you, you show them that this is what they should actually be looking for desired outcome wise. Mm. And not to be confused about a product presentation. That's not the purpose. Yeah, exactly. It's where they want to be. Yeah. Because later you will show them how you help them get this. Yes, exactly. And that's the product presentation. Because if you understand with each prospect you're talking about, how one pain is bigger than the other, and maybe not, significant some pains are maybe not significant for them then you can focus on their pains and focus on that desired income and then you can make a customer specific demo instead of a product presentation exactly yeah exactly so now you just demo exactly what solves their pain exactly in take instead of taking them on a pan city tour you just take them to this parts of the city because that's the ones they wanted to see sure right? yeah very valid. And then when you do that, of course, after you've shown them, you ask them, you know, if this actually, if they can see themselves using this, because then they will start to bring objections. Do, a, w yeah. do a, one of two things, either objections of like, no, this wouldn't work for me because this is this and that. Or they would say like, yeah, this would be great because this is this and that. You would get both the pros and, and cons for, mm -hmm. for them. And, you know, that's ammunition that you would use later in your, in your sales process for like saying when they say like, ah, oh, you know what? It wasn't the time anyway and so on. It's like, uh, which happens <laughs> yeah. Then you would be like, but then you would miss out on all these benefits that you described yourself. So. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. and the impact will still persist. You will still have these pains. Yes. You will still have these legal proceedings. You will still have these this lost sales. And yeah, but this is the way to figure out if they're going to do anything or not. Yeah, exactly. So now it becomes hopefully more apparent how you showcase your value. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it is a lot about actually having a structure for qualifying, right? And and really understanding like what, how is the best way, what is the best way and assess as well structure-wise, right? To to ask these questions, um, keep to the point and, and be able to take the, the feedback, take, take the input, right? And, and really understand, okay, now it's very clear I can have the picture of where you are on the scale of, what is important for you, you know, out of this five points, you know, from, from a scale from one to 10. And then Christian, you mentioned objections. So what kind of objections are you getting? Yeah. yeah. yeah I think the majority of the objections that we got so far was that uh, people would like to use their learning management system in the house. Uh, because also the way I was presenting the product was very much focused on the learning part. While I think that the biggest value proposition that stands in the platform is um, having a place to follow the progress of people from awareness to advocacy and giving them an opportunity to come back somewhere to do more about sustainability. So 
uh, while you do an e-learning, right, which is really maybe general inside of an organization, and then organizations will spend months to figure out what is the content that they want to put in there. We already have the content. It's very easy to customize. But actually, we do that fast because we want to take people to the next step to really get to understand uh, what is it stopping them, you know, from doing more, what is motivating them to do more. So uh, internal, like organizations say, no, we have our learning management system. And then when it regards to communication, we'll send a newsletter. And how many people open the newsletter, <laughs> you know, and, and how many people are actually acting on some kind of call to action to that newsletter, right? So what happens is that what, what is not understood with sustainability is that it is actually paradigm shift. And a lot of the companies want to change behaviors, employees, because of course, when you see someone doing something not very sustainable outside, you know, in the society, then you know, oh, he's working for this company, you know? So they will kind of put a label on, on this. So then companies come and say, oh, um, we want our employees to, to behave more sustainably. And you're like, yeah, but how do you drive behavior? Because you, it is actually the ultimate, you know, goal. It is to make people change the way they do things because that's what the paradigm shift of sustainability entitles. But if we don't understand that the first step into changing the behaviors, it's actually changing the mindset. It's changing the way people see this. We're not going to get to the behavior. You know, you can make them and there's plenty of apps out there that I'm going to make you, you know, take a, a tote bag, reusable bag instead of going and buying a plastic bag, right? So you're going to do that for seven days and then expect that that's going to be the behavior you're going to adopt for the rest of your life. The problem is that if you don't connect sustainability with the internal why, you're not going to get to the mindset and you're not going to get to the behavior. But people might do it, you know, for a couple of days because they maybe have an app and they have fun doing that, but it's not going to be sustainable on the long run because it's not based in how we are as humans, you know, and how we act as humans. So I would love to make an analogy mm -hmm. here is that in manufacturing, yeah. we, we hire and we recruit new machine operators, assemblers, et cetera. And it's not really up to them how fast they need to get up to speed and giving them the info they need to fulfill their job. That needs to happen within a very certain time frame because now they need to be productive and deliver machine parts and products that we can yeah. sell. But somehow we don't quite have that approach to sales just yet. And we don't have it to sustainability just exactly. yet. We accept that it's something that people need to fall into and like, and it needs to be popular and feel good. And no, we, this has an impact on the business quite dire and it all goes to the bottom line and we need to fix this. So what does the process look like? Exactly. That's why you need to get up high enough in the organization that there is somebody that takes this as an initiative and expects to see some results and some progress. But I, and, I'll, and I'll add on that because I think it's really, really, you're really touching on an important point. Sustainability becomes an important part of the strategy, the company strategy, growth strategy, right? So we claim this and we put it and all this stuff, but we are expecting it that the people that deliver, you know, the sustainability strategy are doing this out of passion, 
right? So sort of like, listen, guys, we're not going to hire a cleaning company, right, to to build the cleaning for us because we think if you like to, if you're passionate about working in a clean, you know, office, you're going to clean it yourself, right? You're just going to spend one hour of your working time or extra working time to clean your offices because you're so passionate about uh, cleaning and order and all this. This is exactly what we do with sustainability. It's very important for us, sustainability, but please do it out of passion, in your free time, uh, volunteering, you know, uh, oops, and deliver everything and else. Now we're, now we're back to ICP. Yeah. Because this is part of the reason why, and I would too, if I have something that pertains to transportation that could make the world a more efficient place, communication or sustainability, I would definitely pick up the phone and call mask because they put money where their mouth is. They invest in companies, they invest in technology that will eventually uh, make ships on the ocean free of using bunker, mm. which is the fuel they're using, mm. right? Uh, communication for more efficient dispatch and knowing where uh, ships are, et cetera. They put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. And they put people in charge where it's not a hobby issue. It's people that have delivered uh, executives, et cetera, that becomes uh, spearheading these initiatives because they, they invest to get effect. The thing is that I believe that these big companies, and we had a big pharma company from Denmark now that we're talking about yeah. it. I think the big companies are coming and they're looking into how are we doing it, but then they would like to develop it inside, right? They have their IT people, they have their, you know, a lot of specialists, and then they're like, oh, we're going to do it ourselves. We had a, we had a demo with the, probably I can say the name of the company, I don't know, it's a global recruiting company, um, placement, you know, um, and then VP communication came into demo with sustainability ESG manager and said, you know what, we have all the tools we need. We have everything you know, we need in the house. But why I'm here, so we're not going to buy. But why I'm here is because I want to understand how you're doing it. <laughs> I said, well, wow. if you want to see how we're doing it, then you'll need to pay for it. But for some other companies, like I'm saying, the big pharma you know, company here, uh, you know, we really wanted to, to bring and be like, okay, we developed this competency fair framework, so we have all the courses you need to get your managers up to speed, to use it for. They, they were interested to understand, like, how would a competency framework look for like onboarding, you know, the employees they are hiring for different uh, opinions, right? And then we got there and we explained how we do this, you know, through the process. And we went, and after that, it's like, oh, my colleague is going gonna, is gonna to get back to you. Yeah, I send this to, to, to my colleague. What happened is they just wanted to see, you know, what we think is important and uh, what we're looking into. And they're going to probably choose to do it online, uh, inside. So that's why this you really big... Yeah, exactly. It just took your... Yeah. Your knowledge. Heavy you're tool. you're missing heavy, heavy. some secret sauce. That's part of what I'm hearing. Like some things that they cannot just easily clone. Uh, training is easy to clone. Yeah, so we're I working definitely on that. get that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the the best SaaS companies they have some feature where it's like where where their their customers, if they wanted to do that solution themselves, would have to spend years on trying to figure that out, or they don't have that kind of skill sets. Like you know, we add AI to whatever yeah, employee yeah. scheduling, yeah. something like way. Yeah. So, yeah. so maybe maybe uh, fintech is a good analogy here 
into your space because banks don't need all these apps that are coming up. Mm. They could do it themselves. Yeah. Banks could do it themselves. Yeah. The problem is they don't have the skills and they certainly don't have the amount of resources that would ever make it possible for banks to develop all these fintech businesses that have been just exploding over the last mm -hmm. years. Plus, a good amount of them are going to die. Yeah. Because they're not viable. Yeah. And the ones that are left, how could the bank ever figure this out? Because that would, in a, in a similar context, be that they have invested tons of money into stuff that would not work. And which ones are they that's, that's going to survive? So the best fintechs also have the, the banks have the dependency because they add data. They don't just use the data the banks have. Mm. They add data that the banks don't Yeah, have. exactly. And this we do as well. And so what's the analogy of that? Did you add the training, but maybe that's easy to get. I don't know if it is. Do they update it? Do they get it from the right sources? Who's to say that their sustainability project is going to succeed? The fact that they say they can do everything in-house on their own, does that mean they understand what it takes to make a sustainability project succeed? <laughs> yeah, I think they're, they're just copying what was successful for others at this point. And do they actually see it as a competition for their own job? If their job is to actually do these kind of things, and then if they bought your solution, like there would be no much need for them. Um, I sense that risk in, in what they're kind of asking. It could be perceived like this in a sense of, you know, I mean, if you're really uh, on the side of uh, employee engagement in sustainability kind of role, right? Or sitting from the communication side. What we need to make more clear, I think, in the value proposition is that we are just a tool for them to deploy whatever they think they want to deploy as a content or as actions or, you know, it's a tool for nudging people into doing what they know because they are in a position where they know what is expected, you know, uh, from the company to deliver on. We are an enabler and an accelerator, you know, of, for example, their sure. job. Uh, but to be honest, we also looked into... Can we do like sustainability engagement officer as a service, right? For example, for smaller companies that cannot afford to hire a person to do this, but be like, okay, we'll have someone that sits and do assessment and reporting, and then we do everything in between. We are assessing that, but again, the idea of going towards smaller and medium enterprises right now um, is that the, the need, it's, it's still growing up for them, you know, the pressures and yeah, we need to look yeah, at budget. Sure yeah. So pain somebody... Is Somebody who says we're going to go away and do this ourselves, who says that? What job title says that? Um, we had, for example, sustainability managers that they said, uh, we're going to do the training by ourselves, you know, inside uh, with our learning management system, or we have already a learning management system. Um, and I think, to be honest, it's also a little bit sad uh, that a person that works with sustainability doesn't understand that. This is the change process. You know, it's actually a shift in everything you do. And that getting the data out of a learning management system that says 90% of the people finished the training, 70% of them got above 80%. What are you going to do with that? Like you, you don't do anything. You don't understand 
what's needed at the so, next step, right? So to me, this is, just in follow-up what Christian said here, to me, this is a huge qualifier to, if they don't have the perception and the definition of the role that needs to spearhead this initiative or use this tool as an enabler, then you're not going to get a set. Yeah. So then you need to focus on the ones where during your qualification have a clear idea of how this responsibility is going to be positioned with job titles inside the company. There's more and more transformation managers coming inside some organizations. Some of them very much connected to sustainability, right? But it's, it's just coming up, you know, surfacing as a, as a kind of a job. So, as we said, we would get back to the decision makers later when we've been through yeah. this. So, it sounds like that the um, sustainability managers, they don't have the budget, but they're certainly an, uh, an opinion maker. They certainly have a, a stake in the decision. They are ambassadors. But they, they don't have... The, the the budget. No. So who, and it can be different from organization to organization, who has the budget. Yes. So that's part of the discovery as you get engaged with yeah. the sustainability manager or whoever is spearheading this in HR or communication. You need to find the budget by saying who can who can answer to uh, questions on uh, on these pain and impact as we talked about mm. before mm. because you need to get to the budget which is not the sustainability manager who else could it be who's suffering some of these pains here the legal costs so this is also what we're trying right now to identify if we should go to, towards CFO so we have some kind of success actually with uh, head of marketing right, or head of commercial departments that I understood you, they needed to upskill their their manager or the workforce in in the in the commercial uh, positions to be able to talk about what the company is doing at a sustainability level. So I mean, if you're talking about manufacturing, yeah, I have been in manufacturing, of large Danish floor manufacturing, and in manufacturing, so. Most companies have some similar job titles, mm -hmm. right? But they each have different scale of power depending on the industry yeah. because that's where the most money and the most people are. Yeah. So in manufacturing, the you have the COO, the chief operating, or the guy who manages all plants and production. Mm -hmm. He's one of the kings. And so is the CFO because they have huge investments. Yeah. They have a lot of purchasing, a long sale manufacturing process before they see any money. So he's really, CFO is so important in many, making the cash flow work. Yeah, yeah. And then the CU. So you might, and then you have... Um, People with, with influence, but I would say most typical, those three are kings in manufacturing. Yeah. The but CEO, the CFO, and which to... one was the last one? Legal or? 
the CFO, the CEO, and the chief of operations. operations. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And I think the CFO also will be responsible now with the new legislation, right? Because he's the one signing the he's, he's the one financial who has to report. report. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I would say those should be the three that you somehow need a dialogue with and maybe gauge from them mm -hmm. whether this is actually on the agenda. Yeah. Or how big of an issue it is. Yeah. And then they will be able to tell you if you they direct you to somebody else, but at least you have a communication line with them now. Yeah. For budgetary reasons and understanding how this is going to operate internally. Yeah, yeah. Because this way, you, dear CEO or dear CEO, we don't need to talk. If this is not on your agenda, we can get back to uh, and talk later. But if this is not something that you are about to establish as a fundamental cross-company initiative, if you want to know more about how to do that, I'd be happy to help. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's where they need to get your first inspiration, right? Yeah. How would something like this all? Yeah, exactly. And here's, because I think this is also a challenge, right? Because when you talk to a CFOs, this is the perceived, like the, the, the sustainability, you know, value proposition is perceived as being very soft especially, you know, for CFOs that need to see money, 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 money in, money out, right? Yeah. yeah. So here's where we need to sit and really create that um, that case, you know, for the return on investment and uh, and being like, yeah. well, yeah, this is the risks and this is the opportunity. But because if you can come in, Christian and I in marketing and lead generation and sales, any CEO would love to see the day where he can see that all the marketing money he spends actually generate some sales. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because he's looking for more details than he's given at this stage. Yeah, exactly. Any CEO that could get inspiration or proof of concept in terms of how he can drive uh, his company's productivity, efficiency, compliance uh, with sustainability. Wow, that would... If when, when he starts asking different questions down in the organization in regards to sustainability, then that would necessitate a discussion with you even more and your tool. Mm. Because what could have happened in those that say they're going to do it themselves is, uh, as Christian and I say, at any one point in time, there are only 2 to 3% of prospects out there that are actually looking for a solution. Next month is going to be another 2 to 3% or the month after. But any point in time, 2 to 3% of everybody out there in your total addressable market are looking for a solution. So if you only talk to those 2 or 3%, it's time they spent. probably have been out looking for solutions haven't found what they're looking for with their understanding of how this works. Mm. And then you, they say, oh, we're going to produce it ourselves because they are in the buying mode right now. They need to do something and it's now. Yeah. You need to fo start focusing on the 97% of the right ones and start helping them get to a decision point where they realize, now I'm comfortable, I'll throw some money in it. Totally makes sense. Uh, I think 
qualification was definitely a problem for us, but I also think that the process of qualifying is changing right now, you know, with the new, uh, the new legislation. So I think the last part, Christian, one of your key points about what's the differentiator? How are, we, how are you different? I think it's very important as a, as a topic here now. So lead that, please. But what's different about what people are comparing you to? Because it may not be a competitor. It may be that you're doing it yourself. So where's, where's that? Yeah. Um, actually, we were just thinking about writing an article about that. So we, we really, you know, pinpoint on how we are different than behavior apps. How are we different than learning management systems, right? How are we uh, different than just trying to do it internally with send a newsletter, do a, a town hall meeting and uh, gathering some post-its, right? So we're really trying to, to make this more clear. Of course, our secret sauce, it is a methodology of um, activating people. But we need more, let's say, technology behind it, like an algorithm. So we, we have it in, in paper, you know, we have it in, okay, this is, these are the steps, you know, that we need to do, but we just need to uh, include, you know, a technological um, support to it so that it, it's really making it more like faster and, uh, and we can show and visualize more data. If that's for any interest, right? Because again, um, I, I also got the feedback, you know, from someone being like, yeah, but you know, we in our company, we don't care about like what employees are thinking and feeling, <laughs> you know, this is probably something for more mature companies, right? That are set up in place for us. We decide it's like this, then people need to, need to do it. Right. We're not gathering feedback from how people are feeling, you know, and what they're thinking to start a revolution, because I think this is what, you know, a lot of the companies are afraid of. <gasps> what if our employees, you know, get so smart about sustainability that they're going to think like, oh my God, we're not doing stuff. But we are helping companies to be transparent and be like, this is a hard, you know, transition that we have to do. You can see how hard it is for yourself to do small changes, right? So we need you to be part of this in order to support, you know, this, this shift that we are uh, through, yeah, we're going through right now. So, um, yeah, and let's quickly, quickly find out if they match your ICP with that kind of mindset, you know, because <laughs> exactly. the employees are a very important part of your uh, yeah. outcome. I was just uh, randomly playing around with a pitch for you just before like time runs out here. And it was like, I help manufacturing companies reduce cost uh, through sustainability compliance by gamification vacation something yeah by verifying the yeah yeah, oh, yeah interesting or proven proven <clears throat> process for achieving the sustainability goals <laughs> that's very nice because aside from that blog post you mentioned you had a right i think the other blog post you need to write is how to achieve success in sustainability projects I mean, what does that process look like? What, who's involved and what makes the difference between success and failure? And also, I wouldn't just make a blog post about those kind of objections. I would have it as part of my, uh, like 
on my FAQ or whatever on my website. Why shouldn't I just use my e-learning system, you know, handle mm -hmm. those objections directly there? Yeah, yeah, that's actually a good um, idea. How about interviewing companies that have succeeded with sustainability projects? Go out and talk to them. If you are allowed, bring it on video. Mm. Have a podcast or video channel where you discuss how to achieve success in sustainability projects. Mm -hmm. You become an expert. Yeah, yeah, it was actually on top of my mind, and I guess I just needed to, to get a little push. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also, yeah. you know, that the, the, the challenge, you know, being a, a startup and being an entrepreneur is that uh, there's so many to-dos, you know, and there's, and there's very few people you can delegate to. <laughs> so you need to handle everything yourself. But for sure, this is a priority. And I'm, I'm super grateful for all your inputs and all this nice process coaching me through giving me put for thought and, uh, and, and, and really trying to, to get deeper into the, the insights that I got so far, right? Where we hopefully also good, some of them, because uh, some of them are also maybe assumptions. Yeah, I really love this process. It was really both fun, you know, engaging. And uh, I felt, you know, like uh, you hold my hand to uh, until the end of here's your pitch. <laughs> it's a tricky process. And there are so many entrepreneurs that are very lost in this. And I've been there myself, honestly. You know, we try to hit everything that is in the market and we just start to hit nobody. And But when you know, when you... When you get to this level, you know you're talking to manufacturing companies and you can just move so much faster, like Søren said in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Also understand, you can, you can, when you talk to another manufacturer, you can use their analogy. Yes. You can use their pains, the impact it has on them in manufacturing. And that makes communication so much easier than if you have to take a perspective from a farmer perspective or manufacturing mm. perspective. Now you can't communicate clearly anymore. You don't resonate and it becomes very general. Yeah, indeed, actually. The world is a big place. There's no shortage of customers. You just said at least 50,000 companies in your total addressable market, uh, more will come. So just be the go-to in a small niche where it's so evident that I shouldn't go anywhere else because she's talking about stuff in my industry, in my business. I totally makes sense, you know, to, to narrow down, narrow down like this. I mean, we've tried a little bit to, to maybe target lookalike, you know, audiences or lookalike companies with the ones that we had already as customers. But I wouldn't say that the message were very, was very crisp, you know, in making and in, in differentiated, you know, to, hey, we're talking to you, talking to companies like you. So I think uh, that's also something. Look alike. That sounds to me like the previous decisions you made that brought in the customers with that you're now trying to expand on instead of stepping back and say, this is my ideal customer yeah, profile. Yeah. I will speak to no one else but ideal customers. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, we totally, yeah, that was the approach indeed. The other one sounded like a Facebook algorithm <laughs> or... Yeah, Something exactly. Like it was a, it was a, it was a cold outreach algorithm. <laughs> That's some yeah. stuff you can start to do later on when you have really exactly. figured out when... the ICP and you got the traction, <laughs> you know, the messaging. 
yeah. paint, all that. Then you can go down that path, and it's just about adding more uh, fuel to the fire, right? But you're yeah. not there yeah. right now. Exactly. <laughs> no, thank you so much. This was really, really insightful, and uh, I'm super grateful for your uh, for your coaching. Welcome, yeah. Where so can we'll, people uh, find you and look look up more about your company and you? 2030.builders. <laughs> so we are not uh, building... <laughs> Uh, apartments, flats, you know, houses, but we're just uh, building a better future <laughs> because we get a lot of visits, you know, for that as well. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so Amazing. much. Amazing. So, where do they, is there a link to your LinkedIn profile where people can engage and converse with you? Oh, um, yeah, of course. Uh, I can share it with you, but you. as well, you can find me at uh, Mia Negru on, on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm actually quite active there and we also have a Scandinavian sustainability group where we uh, bring in communities for for sharing, uh, yeah, best practices. All right, amazing. So we'll have your contact information in the show notes. Thank you. So we appreciate your time. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank Thanks you. for sharing and uh, good luck out there. Yes, thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Need it. Ciao. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Messy Growth Show. Check out the upcoming guests on the MessyGrowthShow.com. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. And if you do have any comments, feedbacks, or suggestions of topics that are of particular importance to you as owner or marketeer in the software or manufacturing industry, please do reach out to us on MessyGrowthShow.com. It will see you on the next episode of the Messy Growth Show.